Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. You know, we do a lot to protect ourselves, I think, from the harsh heat, especially the last couple of days. And when we had that heat dome, you make sure you have a hat, you make sure you have sunscreen, you know, you don't just, you know, spend a lot of time sitting in the sun when it's that hot. But have you ever thought about how much protection you give to your eyes and the harmful UV rays? I'm guessing maybe not as much thought. We're going to talk more about that now with the help of Dr. Briar Sexton, an ophthalmologist based here in BC. Dr. Sexton, thank you for joining us this morning. Oh, my pleasure. So do we, is, is wearing sunglasses not enough for people? I mean, first of all, wearing sunglasses is a great start. Um, I get worried because I see lots of kids that aren't wearing sunglasses as their parents are sitting wearing them looking on. But yeah, if you think about it, sunglasses don't glue to your face you know they're not a perfect seal against the sun's harmful rays and when it's as warm as it was during the heat dome or as bright as it is on a bc summer day wearing a broad um, rimmed hat can be an additional safeguard that i think people should employ and they should think about the size of the sunglasses are they you know do they wrap around to the sides for example interesting so what kind of an impact like what do uv rays do to our eyes we've got short-term and we have long-term impact so short-term would be something you would most likely see in somebody's working somewhere with a really highly reflective surface, something you'll sometimes hear about with the Everest climbers where they get a burn on the cornea, which is the front surface of the eye. And that, that will be extremely painful. Eyes will be sore, difficult to open, very light sensitive. But it's more of a long-term impact that you don't feel, which leads to more early development of diseases like cataract or macular degeneration. Is this something that we're still learning about? I think it's, it's really well known that people who spend more time in the sun without their eyes well protected are going to be more prone to develop cataract at an early age, which fortunately is a reversible cause of vision loss. But more significantly, we're seeing more macular degeneration as the ozone thins, as we have more aging Canadians. And that is a non-reversible cause of vision loss that is definitely impacted by the sun. So should we be, okay, what should we look for then? When you put those sunglasses on, how often should we be wearing them? Like people tend to only wear them right when it's sunny outside. And what should we look for in a good pair of sunglasses? So what you want to look for in a good pair of sunglasses is the fit. So do they wrap around the sides? Do they tuck onto the brow rather than leave a big gap where the sun can come in from up top? Um, and, you know, you're looking at UVA and UVB filtering. You want a 99% filter. So that doesn't have to be an expensive sunglass in Canada, and it doesn't even have to be a dark sunglass. It can be one of the more amber or lighter tinted glasses. So picking up and reading the label is important. Okay. And so should we just have them with us on sunny days? I joke around with my patients that I wear them until they actually get so dark that I bump into things. Oh, and- really? Yeah, and I wear them in the winter, I wear them in the fall. 
I mean, the sun is up there all the time. And so, you know, most Canadians are very good about wearing them during the summer, but only about 40% wear them all year long. And we should really be striving to have them on anytime it's sunny out, anytime we're exposed to UV. So even in the fall, that must be a tough sell sometimes for people. I like to think I'm persuasive. (laughs) (laughs) So the UV rays are still present. Is that what you want people to know? Is that, listen, this, this is the damage the UV rays can do, and they're present all the time. Well, and I think, you know, the dermatologists would line up behind me to say you should protect your skin all year round from the sun. That's true, but we don't tend to think of our eyes as the same as, you know, protecting our skin, do we? We, we should, but I think that that's exactly why you and I are chatting today. That is so true. Okay, so sunglasses, like when you look at them, is it the darker they are, the better they are? Like what, what matters here? So like I said, any sunglasses that you're buying from a bricks and mortar store, you know, not from a stall on the street, should have a label that says that they filter 99% of UVA and UVB light. So they don't have to be dark, you know, because that's one of the big complaints I'll get from my patients is they say, oh, I hate wearing a dark lens. I say, well, then wear a light orange, wear a light pink, wear green, wear blue, whatever you like, as long as it's got that label on the arm saying 99% filtration. Okay, so read your sunglasses label. And does it, like, if you buy cheap sunglasses, does that matter? As I said, if it's, as long as you've got that 99% on the arm, We're really grateful in Canada that the government's done a good job to make sure that anything you buy from a bricks-and-mortar store will come up to snuff. If you're buying at the night market in Chinatown, if you're buying from somebody who's got a stall on the street, they may not have come in through um, the processes that most bricks-and-mortar stores would follow, but I would say that most sunglasses are good. Just pick up the label, read the, the tag on the arm, make sure it says 99%, and you're good to go. All right, we will do that. Thank you so much for the advice this morning. You're welcome, Kim. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, nice to speak to you too. That's Dr. Briar Sexton, an ophthalmologist based here in BC, talking about how, you know, with everything going on in the summer and we, we worry about sunscreen and we worry about like air pollution, but have you thought about and made sure that you're protecting your eyes? They said most people wear sunglasses but only 42% in a recent survey done by the Ophthalmological Society said that they wear them frequently all year long, like even in the other times of the year when it's not hot, hot, hot and sunny outside. And they're saying even in the winter months when sunlight reflects off of snow, okay, maybe not here, but in other parts of the country, that it's you should be wearing the right kind of sunglasses too. Interesting stuff. This is Mornings with Simi. So what we've heard from health officials this week is that they have not ruled out the idea of kind of cracking down on healthcare workers who are not yet vaccinated, a way to protect vulnerable British Columbians in our long-term care homes. Now, Dr. Henry says that they're still working on various approaches, things like maybe posting the percentage of vaccinated employees at care homes, uh, maybe increased testing for staff or a requirement for unvaccinated workers to wear masks and PPE. But let's talk about this ongoing situation at our long-term care homes. Joining us now is Terry Lake, the CEO of the BC Care Providers Association. Thank you for being back with us. Thank you for having me, Simi. So is this an ongoing concern, Terry? Like what has been going on in long-term care? Well, the vaccination has made a tremendous difference. You know, we, we only have to look at the number of outbreaks um, have, uh, you know, just dramatically dropped since, uh, since 
people in long-term care have been vaccinated. But unfortunately, uh, we have seen outbreaks occur, particularly Kelowna, for instance, where two homes had outbreaks. Staff uh, vaccination rate was uh, so you can have you know all the residents, uh, but the breakthrough because some of the staff are not vaccinated. And you know we heard this morning from the CDC that uh, the Delta variant is as transmissible as chickenpox. So the most Oh, Terry, we seem to be losing. Hold on one second there. We seem to be losing. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, there you are. Good. Okay. Uh, we, I didn't catch that last part, but I, I was wondering, it, it must be frustrating for, you know, for you and for other long-term care home, uh, you know, staff when there's people who are unvaccinated and this is still a concern that's going on because, you know, we know what works. We do. And, uh, you know, as I said, it's made such a difference having the vaccine that it's uh, it, it just begs belief that, that we don't have everyone vaccinated that's looking after our most vulnerable population. We've seen outbreaks in Kelowna, for instance, where only 70% of the staff were vaccinated. And that puts these very vulnerable residents of long-term care at risk. And we know this Delta variant is even more transmissible than the original uh, COVID-19 So we really do need to get the vaccination rates up among staff, and uh, some operators are making it mandatory for new employees to be fully vaccinated. Uh, But we'd certainly welcome the government to mandate vaccination for all long-term care workers. Okay, so this is something you want them to do. Absolutely. We've been talking uh, to the ministry for a long time about this. Now, we were pleased to see that, you know, they are going to implement uh, mandatory reporting of vaccination status. And if you are not vaccinated, then, you know, continuing to wear uh, masks and eye protection and undergoing rapid testing uh, on a regular basis. But that has yet to be rolled out. We're still waiting for the process uh, whereby that will be undertaken. So, you know, hopefully that will uh, serve as an incentive for more staff to become vaccinated, but certainly a mandated uh, uh, vaccine policy would would be the very best. So right now, though, like what is in place then, Terry? Like if you are not vaccinated, I'm assuming you can't move between care homes, like you can't work anywhere you want to. Well, at the moment, we have a single site order in place. Now, there is a variation on that single site order uh, for fully vaccinated workers that is just going to be implemented. So uh, we are working with health authorities that will approve some workers to be able to move between sites. And this is really important, Sydney, because without that ability, we don't have casual pools to fill in for people that uh, are on vacation or people that are ill. And, you know, people working in in long-term care have been Uh, working tremendous amounts of overtime. They haven't been able to take holidays because of the single-site order. So that variation on the order is very important, but it will only be available to those workers who are fully vaccinated. So kind of like a reward for them? Well, a reward for them uh, because many folks like to work in in more than uh, one site, and uh, they haven't been able to up till now. Some people were kind of frozen at a 70% uh, level, so they they weren't able to work full-time. So what they were doing was going and working in other environments, maybe at grocery stores or in restaurants, uh, because they could not work at a second long-term care site. So this will be a benefit to uh, to workers and also to operators to make sure they have the staff to look after people in long-term care. 
So do you think what's happening then in the central Okanagan, Terry, is this kind of raising the concern here or raising the pressure on getting something done on this? Well, it's always a concern when you see a spike in cases, as, as we are seeing in the central Okanagan. And, you know, that's where we've seen uh, some breakthrough uh, uh, infections in long-term care at Cottonwood's uh, interior health site and also at a contracted uh, provider site. So it's more important than ever that where we see an increase in, in uh, community spread, that workers in long-term care get vaccinated because that's we see a direct correlation between the prevalence in the community and outbreaks in long-term care. So do you have a timeline when this the, a decision might come down? Like, what have you heard? Well, we know that the the policy of uh, making sure masking continues and testing regularly uh, will will come forward. We're hopeful in the next couple of weeks that this policy will be fully developed and implemented, certainly by uh, by September. Uh, but as I said, that's you know it, it's it's not as good as a fully mandated vaccination policy, but I think it will serve as an incentive uh, to uh, get more people vaccinated that are working in long term care. So what have care providers been doing right now? So I'm assuming that, you know, people, the management at these long-term care homes have been encouraging the vaccinations, talking to their staff about it. And so what kind of response has there been? Well, it depends uh, on the home. Where where you've had uh, previous outbreaks, in the, uh, the staff are far more likely to take the vaccine because they understand the impact, the devastating impact uh, on the uh, on the residents of long-term care. Where there hasn't been an outbreak, uh, people are a little more complacent. And, you know, today we're doing, in many homes around BC, a butterfly release uh, event to, to celebrate uh, the people that we've lost, the lives lost over COVID-19 in the last year and a half. We don't want to lose any more. And so uh, getting more and more staff vaccinated is key to that, and particularly in those areas where we see high levels of community transmission. Interesting. All right, Terry, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Simi. Terry Lake, CEO of the BC Care Providers Association, talking about policies that they hope the provincial government will implement. They would like to see mandatory vaccinations for people who work in long-term care homes. Now, there's something that Dr. Bonnie Henry has said that she's losing patience in that regard in terms of if you work in long-term care, this is something that you should be doing. You shouldn't have to be forced to do it. But there are people who clearly haven't done it yet. If you want to weigh in, Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Vancouver Whitecaps have been very busy the last couple of weeks. They've got a one win, two draw record. They're heading into a game tomorrow, actually. Uh, Whitecaps versus Minnesota United FC. But they did manage to get home for a little while to do some practicing. Uh, But they will be heading back to Utah for their games. Uh, Joining us is Mark Dos Santos, head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps White Sea. Hey, Mark, thanks for being back with us. Thank you for having me, Sammy. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How was it to be back home and like in the city practicing? It was great. It was great to be back in our training facility to to find, you know, the familiar faces that we missed. And uh, 
just that feeling of, of being home and, and having things more under control, I would say, uh, than when we're in Utah. Yeah, I guess. Is it a big boost for the players just to have that kind of different, to come back home and have that familiarity? Yeah, it was a week of a lot of energy and training, a lot of excitement. Uh, and now it's kind of a weird one because we're, we're, we're starting to get set here at home and we have to travel today to go play a, a home game in Utah against Minnesota. So this is a, a weird one, but it's the last one before we, we finally uh, are, are 100% at home. Right, so you can see the end in sight. Yes, 100%. Okay, so lots to look forward to there. What are some of the challenges, do you think, ahead for the next week or so, Mark? I think the fact that, you know, our next four games are on the road, uh, we want to make sure that we continue in the run of the last three games, accumulating as much points as we can uh, before coming back home, staying very close to that playoff spot that we want. And uh, we really believe that we're, if we're close to that with the games that we're going to have at BC Place, we could get a boost, grow, and 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 reach our objective. So that is that how you keep the players going here? Say, hey, listen, we're almost home. We are almost in literally home. Yeah, I don't need to do much of that because they're aware <laughs> of that also. Uh, but the group has been good. The group has been always working together to to get the best results possible. So being home is just such an extra boost. It was long. Uh, to be in Utah, the, the people there took care of us very well, but it wasn't home. It was very uncomfortable, I would tell I'll you. I'll bet. Now, Mark, I'm going to ask you something fun, okay? Kind of soccer-related here. Uh, have you watched Ted Lasso? Uh, no. Mark? I know of Ted Lasso, but no, I haven't watched it. How can you not? It's a great show. It's about soccer. I know, but I don't watch all the, the shows. I have so many games to watch. Uh, no, I <laughs> But you know what? I'm curious. So many people have asked me about it. Uh, so I'm probably going to have to watch it, yes. I think you're going to have to watch it because I want to talk about his coaching style versus your coaching style. So you're going to have to watch it, okay? Okay. I watched some YouTube clips, so I have an idea of his coaching style. Uh, <laughs> very different. Uh, very, very special. Uh, but yeah, you can ask me in a few weeks. Because I'm going to watch it. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Very special. Mark, good luck with the game tomorrow. Thank you very much. Nice speaking to you. Nice talking to you, too. That's Mark Dos Santos, head coach of Vancouver Whitecaps, FC. They have a game tomorrow. Uh, It is just after 7, I believe, is when they will be kicking off there. Uh, You'll hear it, of course, on AM 730, so make sure you stay tuned for that. This is Mornings with Simi. It is a bit concerning when you see our COVID-19 numbers. They are going in the wrong direction, which is up. They topped 200 yesterday. That's the first time that's happened since June the 5th. Of course, we know interior health has a problem. That's why we're seeing regional restrictions for the first time in our province this week. But let's talk about what's going on out there. Adrian Dix joins us now, BC's health minister. Thank you for being here this morning. Hey, good morning, Simi. Okay, are you concerned about this? Like, you know, numbers kind of creeping back up. I'm concerned about everything, I'd say, Simi, and uh, all the time on this question, because uh, those numbers reflect uh, real people getting sick with COVID-19. What we're seeing um, in interior health, what we saw in the week leading into the restrictions that were put in place in the central Okanagan health uh, uh, 
uh, area, local health area. We have 90 of those around the province, more or less, and uh, 50% of our cases were in, in one local health area, Central Okanagan. So we took some steps there, and the local health, uh, medical health officer, chief medical health officer in the interior, Sue Pollock, took some steps there to uh, reduce transmission. And we're making, obviously, a very significant effort to continue to increase immunization. We've had, I think, one of the most successful immunization programs in the world, but we have to do better, especially with variants out there that lead to a high level of transmission amongst unimmunized people. And since we know how transmissible this Delta variant is, should we still be encouraging this much interprovincial travel? I know people are recommended to not go to Kelowna in the central Okanagan, but just take a look at what's going on with the ferries today. Well, not recommended to go to the central Okanagan if they're not fully immunized. And that was the message there and in terms of travel both to and from the central Okanagan. I think, uh, I think what we're seeing, we're in step three of our step four-step four program in terms of the easing of restrictions and reopening. This shows why we're going carefully step-by-step step and watching the impact both on cases and on hospitalizations and obviously the, the most uh, severe outcomes, which is on mortality very carefully to see what the right steps are taken. But what we need to do now, absolutely need to do now, and we see this in our numbers, is to get more people immunized. So we have, we're at, at 81% of those eligible over the age of 12 and over who are immunized, but we got to get that number h- higher. And uh, it's not good enough to be uh, uh, as good as anywhere else in the world. We've got to be better than we are now because that will keep all of us safer. And uh, and that's why you see this very significant effort in the next two weeks to raise those immunization levels even higher. Now, what do you think about what we heard from Alberta yesterday? The fact that Dr. Dana Hinshaw says they're not even going to require isolation for someone who tests positive for COVID-19. Well, uh, that's not our view. And uh, uh, in British Columbia, there's three steps of measures that can be taken. Restrictions, as we've seen, and we're at step three of the reopening plan. There's um, uh, there's immunization, and we're driving that because that's an important thing, as they are everywhere. Our immunization is higher, for example, than Alberta by about 7 to 8%. And the third thing is public health, which is contact tracing and the support for people who get sick and the isolation of people who get sick. And that's going to continue in BC. And so we take um, a somewhat different view. Now, I don't want to caricature what Dr. Hinshaw said yesterday. They're going to be continuing to take action against COVID-19 in Alberta. But our view is that the public health measures are even more important with the easing of restrictions because those people who are not immunized are quite vulnerable to COVID-19 right now, given the Delta variant given the uh, alpha variant, given the gamma variant, and the fact that the majority of cases are these mutations in British Columbia. Right, but we can't really ignore what they're doing either next door because we know how that impacts us. So many people from Alberta are vacationing in our province right now. So what we're saying to those people is uh, we hope you you know, we hope and expect people to get immunized and be respectful. That's not just Albertans, by the way, traveling here, but that's British Columbians traveling elsewhere. It's a two-way street. Right. And we uh, we want uh, that's why we're driving immunization. I think they're doing the same thing in Alberta. And of course, we're concerned about that. But we've got to focus on what we can do here in British Columbia. And that's what we're doing. So how do we get through to that last you know, few percentage of people that you want to see them get vaccinated? 
what we're what we're doing is providing more opportunity everywhere to get vaccinated. There's walk-in Wednesday on Wednesday, August fourth, where basically you can walk into any immunization center, and uh, and get vaccinated. Right now, virtually, I think every immunization center in the province, if you haven't had your dose one yet, you don't need an appointment. You can walk in and get immunized against COVID-19. So more opportunity. We, last night, we did town hall meetings um, in the Fraser Valley and Langley and in Chilliwack. We've done uh, town hall meetings in Abbotsford, Mission, and in the north and in the peace country. Uh, Dr. Henry and I to answer people's questions directly. Those are telephone town hall meetings. So we've got to continue to convince. I don't think the right way is to demonize people or to become divisive here. We've got to work to raise those levels. I think, well, there are a, a small number of people, under 10%, certainly, who are against immunization. We've got to get every one of those people who's willing to be immunized to step up and take the, and get the shot. That will keep all of us safer. In fact, it will even keep those people who are against immunization safer. We were talking with Terry Lake from the BC Care Providers earlier on the show, and he was saying that he hopes the provincial government makes it mandatory for workers in long-term care homes to be vaccinated. They would like you, you know, you to take that position. Will that happen? Well, we're taking action right now, uh, which is so we expect uh, healthcare workers to get immunized and take advantage of these opportunities to get immunized to do so. Well, overwhelmingly, residents in long-term care have the protection of immunization. I think it's 98 or 99 percent. There are some who can't be immunized, and that's our most vulnerable. Um, well over 40,000 workers in long-term care have been immunized, and uh, we've taken steps, as you know. We announced those steps uh, some weeks ago um, as to that everyone needs to be immunized. And if they're not immunized, then there will be specific requirements of people with respect to PPE and testing. But uh, we want everyone and expect everyone to be immunized, and uh, that's why we've made these changes. Right, but want and expect doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is doing it, as we know. Well, well, it, it means gathering that information, making sure we know what everyone's status is. And if there's a case when someone isn't immunized, there will be other requirements with respect to, uh, to uh, what they can and can't do. You know, what we have in our society, and I think it's an important thing, is that we don't have mandatory immunization across the board. That doesn't mean if you're not immunized, you uh, you can do uh, everything that people who are immunized can do. For example, people who aren't immunized are not going to be able to travel internationally. And I don't just mean Belgium or Bangladesh. I mean Blaine. And so th- th- those are restrictions now. And by the way, they're in place in many countries of the world that people travel uh, for other diseases right now. And that will mean other other things as well. So you can choose not to be immunized. But there are some things you won't be able to do if that's the case. And, uh, and uh, you can expect to see that in the days and weeks and months to follow. A vast majority of people testing positive for COVID-19 right now are not immunized. So our first job is to get more people immunized, to reduce those numbers, of course, but also to keep people safe, all of us safe. And, uh, and we need to continue to be aware of what a vicious awful, nasty illness this is, whether you're 21 or 91, and we need to do everything we can to avoid it. Minister Dix, thank you for your time this morning. Hey, thank you. Anytime, Simi. This is Mornings with Simi.
Richmond Night Market, of course, is a very popular stop for lots of people, and it returned last weekend after months of not being on because of the pandemic. But what people saw last weekend didn't exactly make them feel good about what was going on. Lots of pictures of just people packed in there, many of them just not wearing masks, led to a lot of concerns, particularly with the fact that we've got the Delta variant and COVID case numbers on the rise. So what's going to happen? Will there be changes as a result of that? Well, joining us now is the Richmond Night Market organizer, Raymond Chung. Raymond, thanks for being with us. Good morning. How are you? I am good. Thank you. So tell me about what's going to be going on this weekend at the Richmond Night Market. Well, this year, uh, this weekend is the uh, the long weekend. So we are, uh, as you know, last weekend was, uh, we were very busy and uh, we saw lots of visitors were it was the first weekend. I think that a lot of people were just too excited, and a lot of people were just uh, couldn't wait after 16 months of uh, lockdown. So this week, we're doing a couple uh, methods to control the the crowd uh, coming in. So, uh, for example, uh, this weekend on the Saturday and Sunday, we're going to extend our time. Uh, instead of opening at 7, we're going to open at 6 o'clock. So we're trying to extend the time and trying to, uh, you know, have more time and then, you know, to to, to help for the uh, circulation during the peak hour. Uh, that's one thing we're doing. The other thing is that we are going to limit the uh, ticket selling during the peak hour. Uh, so that will help to control how many people we be going into the night market. And for the inside the night market, uh, you know, at the food court area, where actually most of the uh, the, the picture was taken was actually in the middle of the food court where because it just you know a lot of people were ordering and a lot of people were picking up the food so it was very busy down there at the food court so what we're doing right now we're actually building two gates at the food court which control the crowd going inside that area and people that go into that area are going to be mask uh, mandatory uh, in those area so hopefully that will help to uh, you know, uh, you know, to push people to more the uh, the other open area, the sitting area, and the other the other uh, mm-hmm. more open space. So, is there a capacity limit, Raymond? Like, at some point, do you stop selling tickets because there's too many people in there? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we are uh, uh, our security. That's basically we monitor from the start to the end is to see how the people are in there and also to see uh, where are they. You know they're they're staying. Our team will start asking people to go to the more open area once we see certain areas getting too busy. Okay, so have you had to hire more people? Obviously, there must be a lot of training going on here too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, after last week, I think we put in a new uh, schedule and new uh, plan to uh, for this weekend for sure. Um, you know, I I saw what happened was that you know remember the first. Uh, Apple shop open. Uh, that's what happened last weekend. People were just overexcited. And, uh, um, people were yelling and screaming when they got to night market. Like, yes, I made it to the night market. And people were so happy. But, you know, as you said, we do have a virus on our back right now. So uh, we have to be uh, cautious as well. Right. And I also noticed on your website that you're warning people that it could be a wait to get into the market. Yes, that's uh, where the ticket selling comes in, where that we control the, the ticket selling. So people who still want to come in, they have to line up maybe 30 to maybe 60 minutes to wait, because that's the one thing that we were talking about to control uh, how many people can come into the market. So you would like people to arrive earlier and, you know, just be aware of space. 
That's, that's definitely. And uh, also, you know, I, I my tips to uh, the visitors that uh, come earlier, uh, I was I would say from six to seven. Or come on Monday. Monday is a long weekend. We open, and uh, you know, our, from our past, Monday is always a good day. It's not a uh, super busy, crazy day. Okay, yeah. So you're open for the long weekend too. So you must be expecting that you're going to get a lot of people. Like, what are ticket sales like? Well, it is because I mean, you can tell up uh, like this long weekend is uh, you know for all the family and uh, people. You know, we've been locked down for sixteen months. This was one of the first long weekend. Uh, after the uh, reopening, so I, I I can see not just the night market, but everywhere else in BC is going to be very busy. All right. So, any other words then of of warning then for people, Raymond? What do you want people to know if they want to come to the night market? Well, I will uh, ask people. You know, uh, even though you know mask is not mandatory in BC right now on the outdoor, but uh, I do recommend people to bring a mask uh, along. If you don't have one, we provide you for free. Uh, but you know, come to night market. You know, enjoy, have fun, but at the same time, peace. Uh, still have the cautious of the uh, you know to be safe as well to not yourself but to other people. All right, Raymond. Thank you so much. Best of luck. Thank you much. That's Raymond Chang, who's the night market organizer at the Richmond Night Market. So they're putting some new protocols in place for this weekend. I mean, long weekend, you can expect it's going to be busy. But if you're prepared to go there, there will be capacity limits, longer lineups to get in, they're saying, because they're trying to control the crowd better. So be aware. But you just know, I think you're going to see a lot of people who want to get out and get out to the market, too. So we'll let you know how that goes. If you want to weigh in, send me at cknw.com.